I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Maxwell looks to finish it, and he might have done it as well. Five times 50 over men's World Cup champions, a team that can never, ever be written off. And they've finally got their hands on a men's T20 World Cup trophy, and it is richly deserved. Yes, that is the moment that Australia clinched their first Men's T20 World Cup title, defeating New Zealand this morning by eight wickets. It was a fantastic victory for Australia, and we watched it all, and we're going to recap it here on the Unplayable Podcast. I'm Josh on a finger, and I'm joined by Louis Cameron. Louis, what did you make of today's match? Josh, before I tell you what I made of it, uh, I think we both got to come clean. Did you really think Australia could win this? No. I gave really. I, I mean, yeah, I gave right. them a, maybe a one percent chance, but one percent. They just didn't have any of the form leaning mm. in. Um, they hadn't played together as this squad, mm. and yeah, I mean, I'm I'm sure you were probably thinking down down the same lines. But when we did our preview at the start of the year, we didn't really give them much of a thought, did did we? No, I mean, we gave them a lot of thought because they're the you know they're the Australian cricket team, but by no means were they. Favorites, or even I mean, if I was predicting, I, I wouldn't have put them in my top four. I, I mean, I, I thought the West Indies were going to win, and I was, I was very wrong about that, as as we've laughed about a few times. But it, it everything just clicked magically, uh, both tonight in this final, and I mean, throughout the tournament, barring one major hiccup, uh, it was it was a just about a flawless tournament. Apart from that, it, it's. It's remarkable. I'm, I'm sitting here in this studio, and they've got the highlights. We've got the highlights um, replaying in in the background, and I didn't really think we'd be in this position, Josh. Well, one of the stars of the show for Australia when it all clicked was Mitchell Marsh. He was the new number three, and he was player of the to- a player of the final, I should say. Sorry, seventy seven not out for fifty deliveries, and he was brilliant again with the bat. This was the key, I think, to Australia's win in this tournament. I mean, apart from their bowling, which I think was a, a really big part of it, uh, which we we'll, might touch on a bit later, but Mitch Marsh's ability to bring a different dimension to that number three spot, um, born out of the tours of the West Indies and, and Bangladesh, which were roundly kind of de- described as, um, you know, accurately described as um, failures in it from a team point of view, but... You might say that five consecutive series defeats, uh, and particularly those two earlier this year that were probably the most glaring of them, were all worth it for finding a guy who can show a bit more, uh, trying to find the the right way of putting it. Uh, Maybe I'd paraphrase Aaron Finch in the best way of summing it up. They wanted more aggression from the number three spot. They made the really bold move of demoting Steve Smith to number five or, or four, depending on when wickets fell. Steve Smith is Australia's most successful number three batter in, in T20 cricket. Um, he also does a good job there in, in one-day cricket. It, it was a really, really brave move to do that, not only for the World Cup, but you know, kind of giving Marsh this run at it uh, against the West Indies and Bangladesh to get used to it. Um, and has paid off tonight, 77 not out off, off 50 balls. And that 
aggression that they want from ball one. I mean, it was on display, wasn't it? He went six, four, four with his first three balls tonight. Uh, it was it was exactly what Australia would have wanted. Like that. What a start that is. Oh, my gosh. Welcome to the final, Mitch Marsh. Yeah, very impressive. I totally agree with what you said. He was the number three throughout those West Indies and Bangladesh tours. And then he was for game one against South Africa. He got 11 off 17. And then they sort of lost faith there for a little moment. But I really like it because they said, no, hang on. Marsh is our number three. And he came back in for the match against Bangladesh. 16 not out of five balls. And then 53, as you said, against the West Indies. And from there, his run was on. But, yeah, he was totally on from ball one today. He's six off his first ball was just a magnificent flick off the hip of Adam Milne, who bowls pretty decent uh, pace, we would say. And, yeah, he just never looked back from that moment. His play against pace has never been in doubt. I, I think the Australians have always known that. He, he's grown up the whacker. He's um, he's always been a good play, a player of fast bowling. Uh, the biggest thing for him has been his improvement against spin, and that's been on show uh, at some crucial times in this t- tournament. Um, never more so than tonight. Uh, him and David Warner basically smashed Ishtodi out of the attack. I think he went for none for 40 off his three overs. Um, Australia has genu- generally struggled against leg spin as well. So that was that was really big. And just his willingness to attack early. Obviously, he hit his first ball for six and was 14 off, off three. But he they had the, the 10 over break. Um, and Australia were going pretty well in their chase by that point. But... Uh, I think Jimmy Neesham bowled the first or second over after that break. And Mitch Marsh hit Neesham's first ball for six. So when you're putting that kind of pressure back on bowlers, it's it's a hell of a thing to watch. Mitch Marsh has been around the Aussie setup for a long, long time. But is this the moment that he's made? He's, this, is this his coming of age? Is this when he's going to cement his spot in the team for the rest of his career? Is this the moment? Well, I think he's found a niche in one format of the game. And... He probably has never found that in any form of the game. Uh, not to say he hasn't had success. He, he's made Test hundreds. He's made an Ashes hundred. Um, he's had his moments in in the baggy green. He's, he's had his moments in one day cricket, which is probably his his strongest format. Um, you know, before this year, but he's really got a defined role now. And you know, looking, you know, we haven't even recapped this game yet, so we don't want to look <laughs> ahead to the the next T Twenty World Cup, but you'd think something would have to go very wrong for him to not be there for, for that tournament. A man who also had a fantastic tournament and was named player of the tournament, David Warner, uh, hit another half century today, 53 off 38. He was a rock at the top. Um, a couple of nice sixes over mid-wicket, as he generally does. Again with Marsh, put on a 92-run stand. And after the early wicket of Finch, which sort of put Australia on a bit of a back foot, Bolt was looking good getting some movement with the ball. But... Those two put on 92 and put Australia into a really strong position. And Warner, who we no, we doubted a little bit at the start of the tournament maybe, but I do remember listening back to our preview after or to our recap of game one hmm. when Warner scored 14 or 15. And you, you said, he said, you said he just, he looked good. He just couldn't find the gaps and he got out, but the runs were just around the corner for him. I'm glad one of my predictions in this tournament <laughs> has, has come to fruition. I mean, the Aussies have, have been prickly when, and Warner has been prickly yes. when people have said he's out of form and and maybe rightly so, but there had to have been some doubts, um, maybe not over his form, but just over how he would react to some time in the middle um, or maybe phrase it a better way, just the some concerns over 
the lack of time in the middle he'd had. And he wasn't the only one coming into this tournament. We'll, we'll touch on a couple of others a bit later, um, you know, especially Pat Cummins. But he was coming off zero and two in his last two IPL games before he got dropped. He then made zero and one in the two warm-up games. In hindsight, maybe zero, two, zero, one is better than, you know, 14 off 13 and 12 mm-hmm. off 20 innings like that, which can kind of be danger signs that, you know, he's that a player is out of form. Um, but he's delivered on the in an incredible fashion, really. I mean, he's, he's kind of snuck up on us at 289 runs at 48, a strike rate of 146 for, for an open who's batted through the innings. That's, that's superb. Massive innings against Sri Lanka, against the West Indies, uh, and, and a crucial 49 in the semi-final against Pakistan. Um, and then he probably saved his best for, for this game against New Zealand. What do you make of the call to name him player of the tournament? Obviously, he didn't score as many runs as Barbarazum, and um, Aaron Finch said Adam Zampa would have been his pick for player of the tournament, but David Warner got the gong. What are your thoughts on giving Warner that title? Yeah, he did finish behind Barbarazam both in aggregate and average. Uh, it's average about 12 fewer than, than what Baba finished on. His strike rate was about 20 higher which is, is interesting. I mean, if you're picking a batter, it's hard to go past Joss Butler. Um, I think uh, strike rate of 151, nearly an average of 90. Um, but, I mean, when it's all said and done, Warner was there um, nearly to the very end with, with Australia, the the champions. I don't I don't hate it. Yeah, I, I really don't hate it. I think it, it would have been a tough call for him to make. And, um, yeah, I mean, it's interesting, Zampa. Uh, I think maybe the numbers – don't reflect just how good a tournament he has. Um, he has had, I should say. Um, he, he was superb. Again, only one wicket tonight, but um, he, he's been fantastic all tournament. I think it, it, any of them, any of those, maybe Butler, Zampa, Baba, Warner would have been deserved winners. But, yeah, yeah I think Warner was, was probably the right call in the end. Yeah. yeah. Th- th- this game probably clinched it though, right? Yeah, and it certainly helps when you're on the winning team. I think mm-hmm. that... Uh, that makes the decision for the judges a little bit easier as well. Without a word of a lie, I, pr- I promise you, I, I called Justin Langer a few months ago, and I said, "Don't worry about Davy; he'll win, he'll be man of the tournament." I, I didn't. I thought Adam Zampa should have been man of the tournament personally, but um, he's a great player. He's one of the all-time great batters, um, and he's a fighter. He's someone who, when his back's against the wall, that's when you get the very, very best of David Warner. So. Um, there was a special finish to the tournament for him, the, the last couple of knocks. So New Zealand set Australia 173 for victory. The star of their innings was Captain Kane Williamson, who despite a slow start and despite having a, pre, a tournament strike rate of only 94.5 leading into the final, exploded and just played some of the most incredible shots. And it was one of the most, uh, what are we going to say, uh, enjoyable innings to watch. I think we, we were both enjoying it. We were I was expecting him to ton up in the end. He was just in complete control and he was hitting the ball wherever he wanted to hit it. It's hard to think of a better innings in a losing cause in, in a final. I'm, I'm sure there have, has been some. I've got a, I've got a very short memory. Yet. <laughs> we're, we're nearly 7am in the morning here um, and we've just gone through the night. So apologies if we've made some glaring errors. But um, I mean, under a run of ball for his kind of tournament leading into this uh, was a really good stat, I think, unearthed by maybe you and uh, a couple others and the broadcast. Right. Not, sure, not sure who came up with it, but I'll give you credit for it, mate. Thank you. Um, but just the way he attacked the Aussies in a way that wasn't relentless power hitting or slogging, 
um, was it was a delight to watch. Uh, he went after Australia's fifth bowler in particular, Marsh um, and Maxwell. He hit back-to-back sixes off Maxwell, including a one-hander over the Incredible. leg side. I, I think the, the one after that was to, was to bring up his 50 as well. Um, and the way he went after Stark was, I mean, he really targeted Stark. It was it was fascinating to watch. Um, that second over, he got Stark uh, for 22. He got a bit of luck, um, and he had a bit of luck earlier. That um, yeah, well, I mean, maybe we should start there with with the Stark v Williamson battle tonight. I mean, Josh Hazelwood had a had a fantastic night, but gee, if Australia lost this game, uh, we'd be talking about that drop catch for for quite a while. Definitely, and I just wonder if Stark's night would have turned out a lot differently yeah, as well. Probably so would have, yeah. it was well, a- I mean, the fact that he he went for sixty, and I reckon Williamson probably hit what 40 45 of those we should dig out those head-to-head stats but it it wasn't a difficult chance per se at fine leg but williamson's flicked a full toss off stark and it's flown down there it's it's gone at great pace and it sort of burst through josh hazelwood's hands and gone for four i think i don't think yeah quite went over the rope it came in a bit it must have it probably came faster to him just uh, for the simple fact that it didn't bounce yes which might have might have thrown hazelwood off a bit who i mean he's normally a pretty Safe pair of hands, um, but kind of skipping ahead to that 16th over it was where Williamson got in for 22. Um, it was the most expensive in a, in a T20 World Cup final that over. Um, so he had a bit of luck with some some schnicks over third man. But then the last two, he hit a six after that as well, after a dot ball. But the last two balls of that over, he opened the face on one through point. It was just, it was cracking. It was just a cracking shot with Stark kind of coming around the wicket. And then if that wasn't good enough, then the one after that, he kind of opened the face even more, more of a guide. And, mm. and he, I think he did actually get an edge, but it looked like he meant to outside edge it for four. Um, yeah. It was so skillful. And it was perfectly in between the two fielders. It's almost as if he, he just manipulates the field and then picks the gaps again and yeah. manipulates the field again. It was awesome to watch. He, uh, even, he did something similar earlier when Australia had a really square – Mid off, long off to him. Uh, I can't remember if it was that's Stark. Right. I that's think it, right. it was off Stark. Yeah. yeah, and Stark was going quite full as he does early, um, and Williamson just played this beautiful check drive for four, and you're kind of like, oh well, that's just that's four, just four long off, right? Yeah. But he knew exactly where the long off fielder was. I'm not quite sure why they, maybe they had it mid off wider to Williamson because they know he he goes over cover. I'm not exactly sure why they would have done it, but very clever batting. Well, it went that fast off the bat, I'm sure. He mm. maybe wasn't even that wide and it just maybe accentuated the fact that he timed it so well. Mm. Um, but Williamson, as you picked up, he started off. He started a bit slowly. He was 7 off 13, but after that, his next 35 balls, he scored 78 runs at a strike rate of 222. So who says he's just a test player? Yeah. He was fantastic, wasn't he? Uh, and, I mean, there's a case that New Zealand would be would have lifted the trophy if he had a bit more help. I mean, Martin Guptill really struggled to get going, 28 off 35. Um, Glenn Phillips, 18 off 17. He, he didn't – just look f- like from the first ball that Williamson – I might have misread this, but um, Williamson was on strike and uh, for, I think, Phillips' first ball kind of at the crease. He was at non-striker's end. Williamson bunted one into the offside and immediately was like, right, that's a that's a single. And he was kind of waiting for confirmation from his partner. And Phillips just maybe wasn't quite fully switched on. Yeah. And, and Williamson gave him this terse look 
and I hadn't seen it from Williamson before because he seems like such a calm, yeah. lovely guy. Um, but he's obviously got a real competitive spirit, and he kind of just gave Phillips his terse look to say, "Hang up, like come on, mate, like this is a World Cup final, like mm. you've got to be switched on from from ball one." And, and that set the tone a little bit for for Phillips's innings. Um, Williamson's, I mean, was still uh, fantastic even despite this. But you wonder whether uh, a more experienced head in um, taking nothing away from Phillips, and, and I should preface that by saying I might have misread that that little um, interaction, but I, I did think it was telling, and, and you know maybe there is a case for Jimmy Neesham could have come in at number four. We we know he's done it be, before in, in big games. Um, you know even the last World Cup final New Zealand played in, um, he was he was incredible. Uh, so you know his thirteen off seven, yeah. could that have been a a forty off you know. 19 something like that and because as it, as it turned out after Phillips mm. went out um, Nisham only had um, two and a half overs to bat so. exactly right so if if he's 30 or 40 off not many does that get him to 200 and do the Aussies chase 200 that um, you know it could have been a very different game if, if the Aussies had been forced to um, do something a bit you know outside their comfort zone yeah, that's right. So in the third last over, it was Josh Hazelwood who did stem the flow. He took the wickets of Phillips and Williamson in the same over. And we wanted to touch on Hazelwood's um, match. He took three for 16, but also his tournament. Uh, he finished as Australia's second um, leading wicket taker with 11. And he took the most wickets in the power play in the whole tournament with seven. So he was very strong at the top and... We probably didn't expect him to be as effective at the death as he was, but he was, in the end, quite a useful con- um, a contributor for Australia. Yeah, it looked like Finch got more and more uh, confidence in him as the as the tournament went on. It's a good point. We we thought early that if they were going to play three quicks, um, it was probably going to be Stark, Cummins, and maybe Marcus Stoinis who were really entrusted with those death overs. But Hazelwood ended up getting his fair share. Maybe not the very last over, but he, he bowled the second or... Um, or third last overs yes. on a number of occasions. His knuckleball has been a really big um, part of uh, his development in white ball cricket um, and, and the IPL as well. I mean, he won, he's now, uh, you know, two-time champion within a month having won the, the IPL with the Chennai Super Kings. It was interesting, Aaron Finch basically said that that IPL campaign convinced the Aussies to include Hazelwood over Kane Richardson um, for, this, for, for this World Cup, which... Will be cold comfort to to Kane, who's a who's a wonderful bowler. Um, shows the Aussies have some have some really good depth in in T Twenty cricket now. Certainly a big call though before the start of the tournament, wasn't mm. it? Um, Richardson we know is so experienced, and Hazelwood has been good for the last twelve months, but doesn't sort of have that body of work behind him. So you know, it's another one of these moves, Marsh to three, that have have paid off for Australia. And it's an interesting point about finding success in this campaign where there might have been question marks at the start of it. Um, and, and looking at the bowling, I mean, Adam Zampa, um, no surprises there, 13 wickets at 12, an economy rate of 5.81. I it mean, was when, so good. Yeah. When, when you look at those numbers, you, you think actually maybe he had a case to be player of the tournament. But So you, you kind of thought Zampa was in for a good tournament. I don't think anyone's surprised, maybe at how, just how good he was. But um, So so you kind of thought he, would, he would, was in for a good a good series. Um, Pat Cummins, he only took five wickets, but he also only went at 7.37 for the tournament, which I think is a, 
um, I think that's the magic number for him, given the the role he had bowling a lot of those really tough overs. Yes, yep. Um, and he seemed to work work his way into the tournament as well. There was a big question mark over him. He hadn't bowled at all in any major cricket leading into this. He he just had a baby, and um, he he didn't have a baby. His partner had a baby, of course, and he uh, stayed home for it. And he missed Australia's T Twenty tours earlier this year. He missed the second part of the IPL. Um, and Ashton Ager, who's been uh, the second leading yeah. bowling behind Zampa, um, didn't play in, in this tournament at all apart from the England game. Um, and they didn't get much out of their fifth bowler. I mean, Maxwell had his moments. Uh, he you know, generally was, was pretty serviceable. Um, Marsh didn't do much. Doinus only bowled, well, I'm just having a look here, the three overs. Yeah. Um, that was in the Sri Lanka game, wasn't it? Yeah, earlier in the tournament. Yeah. Earlier on. And Stark, you know, really got got whacked around. I mean, he got a, a few early wickets in, in some of the games. But um, so it really, it, w- it didn't quite pan out the way we might have predicted it with with the Aussie bowlers. And we would have thought that was their strength leading into this. Yeah, that's right. It's sort of been the bowlers who we were going to bank on, you know, mm. Stark and even Stoinis as, as we touched yeah. on, and Agar yeah. to sort of do the heavy lifting. And it was the other side of the spectrum. So another great sign for the depth of this team. Yeah, 100%. And a really interesting one around T20 specialists and data and matchups. And it seems like the Aussies had a look at all that and said, yep, that's fine. But we've got Stark, Hazelwood and <laughs> and Cummins. We're just going to go with them. We reckon they're pretty good. Uh, and it's hard to argue with Six the results. And a half and right, right. We just want to do a quick recap of the tournament as well. Maybe uh, we'll run through our surprise packets of the tournament, uh, the breakout players who impressed, and the disappointments of the tournament. I think I know who you're going to pick mm, for your disappointments. I have a bone to pick. W- yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so the surprise packet, um, who are you going to go for your surprise packet team? Australia won uh, against odds. Are they the team that you're going to go for this? Yeah, it's a boring answer, mate. Yeah. Uh, I think we probably answered this one off the top. Yeah, I, I didn't really think – I thought they had a team capable of winning it. I didn't think the pieces would all fit mm-hmm. together. I didn't think Hazelwood had potentially you know, played enough T20 cricket to be a real force. He was, and I was wrong. I didn't think Pat Cummins had necessarily played enough cricket leading in. He probably hadn't, but he, he, he was good enough anyway. Um, I, I thought there were still question marks over Australia's top order uh, – sorry, top and middle order – um, I wasn't sure if Stoinis and Matthew Wade uh, could be could be finishers, and I thought they might be too reliant on Glenn Maxwell. Well, Wade and Stoinis were, you know, showed yeah. in the biggest game. You know, I think the the semi final probably was their their biggest game. That was their yep. the biggest hurdle they had to overcome was that that sure. Pakistan team. Yep. Um, no disrespect to New Zealand, uh, and those two came came up clutch in in a massive scenario, uh, and Maxwell. It didn't have a, an amazing tournament, and Australia still won. It's it, it's the biggest surprise for me. Nice little way for Maxi to finish it though, with the winning runs, with a nice little reverse paddle hit. So I'm sure he'll be pretty happy with that finish. Yeah, I, I don't think the Aussies would be overly concerned by what they saw from him. I think the way he plays, that's um, sometimes he comes off, sometimes he doesn't. I, I think they probably would have liked a little bit more, but um, yeah, I think uh, I think if. If you can win a World Cup with Maxwell not firing a hundred percent to the level he, he can, um, 
then that's not a bad sign. Who's your biggest surprise, mate? Well, I was going to give a bit of credit to to New Zealand, actually, Mm. because I gave them no chance of getting through that group with India and Pakistan, and they smashed India in their second game Mm. of the tournament. And and then they smashed England, who probably were going to be Australia's bogey side if they had to face them in the final. But thankfully, the Kiwis took care of England, and then Australia took care of the Kiwis. So it all worked out pretty well in the end for the Aussies. Yeah, and the Kiwis kind of went with that that team lineup that the Aussies had, had kind of played with for virtually all their cricket, um, all their T20 cricket mm. in, in recent years with the five bowlers and, you know, Santa at seven, a, a similar yep. type player to Ashton yep. It worked pretty well. Um, also similar to the Aussies in they back to old school kind of, um, you know, line length quicks in, in Bolton Southie. That, that might not be, uh, you know, paying them complete due respect, but... Um, to their T20 skills. Certainly experienced around that team. Yeah, and, and very highly valued in, in the IPL, I should say, yep. um, especially Bolt. Yep. Um, so, yeah, New Zealand had a, had a really good tournament and you, you do feel for them, don't you? Like hearing Kane front up to another presser when, you know, he's he's just lost. You know, obviously this one, there was no question mark over the legitimacy of the result as there, <laughs> as there was, um, you know, two years ago in, in 2019, but he was equally gracious. They do have the test championship to sort of console themselves with. So. He did point that out. Maybe we should we should play that bit of the press conference just for our listeners because uh, he, he took issue to one of the questions asked. Here's, uh, here's exactly what he had to say. Uh, Kane, uh, 2015 final, 2019 final, and now 2021. Uh, this team has uh, shown in past that you guys have like uh, lived and up the to the... And test championship final. Uh, of course, that's, that's a different one, format, but yeah, I'm talking about the white ball <laughs> format. Okay, Lou, so who was your breakout player of the tournament that really took you by surprise with their performances? Okay, I've got a few here, Josh. Okay. It won't be a great surprise to you here that I'm going to say Ruben Trumpelman. And I'm not just saying it because I love his name. I genuinely thought he could do a, a really good job for a lot of T20 teams. Maybe not the top tier. He might not be getting an IPL contract, okay. put, put it that way. But... Um, I reckon he's he's good. I genuinely thought he might be good enough for the big bash if, you know, a, uh, a bowler pulls out, an international bowler pulls out and they need a replacement. Surely Ruben Trump would be willing to come play for the Renegades or the Strikers. Or Are you saying that BBL is not top tier T20 league? Uh, let's, that's a conversation for, for a different day. But, um, yeah, so Ruben Trumpman, <laughs> breakout player for me. Yeah. Uh, he, he's one of them. I thought Asalanka uh, and Hasaranga from Sri Lanka. Maybe Hasaranga, people have known a little bit about him for, for a little while now, but um, he had a fantastic tournament. Um, you know, Sri Lanka's bowling really struggled to curtail teams, but he, he was a real banker for him. Yeah. Uh, not an easy job to do. And Asalanka, I think, is going to be a really good uh, left-handed middle-order player for, for quite a while. It's hard to go past Mitch Marsh as... Yeah, nice call. A genuine top order option, I think. Um, He's in for a big IPL payday, I reckon. As someone who has proven he can bat in the top three now, um, who can go from ball one. Mm -hmm. Bowl a bit. Well, yeah, and has improved a lot against spin. And you're exactly right. If he can kind of get his bowling up to the level it has been in the past, um, even if he can just show that he can, you know, be a a handy six six bowler option – um, he yeah he could be in for a, a nice little earner. I, I think maybe the other one in terms of breakout player is Liam Livingstone. Um, obviously we knew he was a very good player. I, I wasn't sure that he was a a gun uh, middle order player. 
seen him do it up the top, mm-hmm. but uh, he really impressed yeah. me. And his bowling, genuinely, he bowled four overs against Australia and uh, against some of the other teams. Bowling off spin to the left-handers and leg spin to the right-handers. Um, similar kind of thing with him. Pretty impressive, that's for sure. The only other ones I had were Daryl Mitchell from mm. New Zealand, who I saw a lot of commentary that he was a young, young player for New Zealand, but he's actually 30, so we can't really put him in the young category, I don't think. But Well, he's an Aussie as well, I hear. He went to school with Marcus yeah, Stoinis. Yeah, in Perth, so. yeah. So yeah. we'll claim him for sure. Yeah, um, yeah. And the other one, uh, Aidan Markram, not mm. exactly a new player on the scene. He has captained South Africa in ODI cricket, but he had a great tournament in the middle order. Traditionally, he's played up the top and he also bowled a bit and took that Superman catch against Australia as well. So pretty good tournament, I, I reckon, for him. Yeah, great shout. All um, all very worthy options. You have to pick one, though. For me, it's Marsh. Yeah, I'll go Marsh. You're that, going Marsh as well. Oh, that's boring. Is that boring? Yeah. Okay, I'll go Asalanka. I oh, really okay. enjoyed watching him. Strike rate of 147 for the tournament. That's pretty impressive. Yeah, yep, good one, mate. All right, so biggest disappointment of the T20 World Cup. Go on, drum roll. We don't need a drum roll. Take us away. The West Indies, I mean, what were they doing? <laughs> what were they doing? I mean, they. I don't buy that they were too old. Um, the way they – I know it was, an, it was an undermanned Australian team earlier this year in, in that bilateral series, but um, they dismantled them very easily. And, uh, yeah, I, I maybe I overestimate them. Uh, maybe, you know, Dwayne Bravo and Chris Gale – hung on for, for too long. But I, I really thought even without those two, I thought Andre Russell is the the number one T20 player in the world. If I had to pick one, it would be him. I think Kieran Pollard you know, isn't too far off with that. Um, they're batting, just the batting dynamism they had between Nicholas Puran and Shimron Hetmeyer, um, Evan Lewis and um, who's the other opener? I'm, uh, Lendl Simmons. Lendl, yeah. They just had a lot of bases covered, I thought. And maybe they had – I mean, Pollard kind of suggested as much when they lost their last game to um, to Australia that they just maybe had too many options at times and maybe left it to the next person and didn't, you know, didn't let the, the top order didn't take ownership. Um, but I just thought they had a lot of bases covered with, with both bat and ball. Hayden Walsh was probably a slight disappointment with the, mm-hmm. with the ball. He, he lost his spot um, at one point, so – yeah, the West Indies were were disappointing for me in in a crowded field. I mean, there were um, there were others definitely. Well, India didn't make it through the group stage. Mm. That they will have obviously been shocked with that. But England for me is a bit of a disappointment because mm. they had such high hopes and they looked untouchable until that last game against South Africa, where they sort of slipped up a bit and then lost all momentum. New Zealand took care of them and they didn't even make the final in a tournament that they were really hot favourites for. I mean, I wonder if there's a case to be made that their um, their T Twenty stuff doesn't stack up quite to the same degree that their their fifty. I mean, in fifty over cricket, they just overpower you with um, options. Options, galore. yeah. I mean, even hiding a, hiding might might be the wrong word, but a player like Chris Wokes got found out at times with his death bowling. He didn't quite fit as the the bowler that they. Um, yeah, he didn't quite fit in that uh, the. Both both sides of the coin that they they probably would have got from someone like Joffrey Archer, mm-hmm. I suppose. Um, so yeah, I mean the other side of it is maybe they would have done a lot better if they had Archer and, and Ben Stokes of in course. their team. Yeah. I mean, you imagine if I mean the Aussies were pretty pretty much at full strength for this tournament, right? Like I, I don't think they were 
they're really missing anyone. Who would Stokes and Archer be the equivalent for for Australia? Like that that's pretty much Maxwell and Stark or Maxwell and Cummins. Yeah, yeah. Could Australia have won the World Cup without I mean they they might have been able to won won the World Cup without Maxwell and, and Stark. I mean those two were um you know it, they they didn't have essential performances along the way, so yeah, certainly yeah, yeah certainly not in the final. But it's food for thought. I guess we'll have to consider it and mm. run the simulations. We'll have to get cricket captain. That's right. Well, we just have to wait eleven months, and then we've got it again on our shores. So it's true. If you want to catch any of the highlights or news or statistics or scorecards from today's monumental win for Australia over New Zealand, head to cricket.com.au and we'll have you covered. All there. Louis Cameron, thank you for joining me and all the listeners for the Unplayable Podcast T20 World Cup recaps. Hope you've had fun. I have. Sorry, were you talking to me or the audience? No, I was talking to you. Yeah, no, sorry. I, I tuned out. I, I was, uh, <laughs> I'd clocked out of the World Cup mode, mate. But um, it's uh, it's been a pleasure covering the World Cup with you. It's been a lot of fun. The regular Unplayable Podcast will be back from next week. So thank you so much for joining us. And we look forward to your company from next week. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com.